0: Welcome to this episode of Woman to Woman Podcast Series. Our guest today is Maura Charles. She is a digital technology and people leader based in New York who has spent more than 20 years developing digital products and leading transformation for beloved consumer brands. Her passion is the human side of technology work and she loves helping teams get unstuck. She has extensive experience in digital transformation, product management, marketing, and content strategy with companies in multiple industries. She has worked at the Discovery Channel, Time Inc, Bloomingdale's, Allergan, Cablevision, and the New York Philharmonic. She launched her own consulting practice in 2021 focusing on digital transformation and digital teams. She serves on the board of Usain Summer Camp for the Arts on Long Island, and she's a technology career mentor for organizations including Build by Girls and PM Dojo. Hi Maura, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. So let's get started with your childhood. How was your childhood?
1: Oh, it was, uh, I guess you would say idyllic. <laughs> um, I, I was raised on Long Island in New York and the suburbs of New York. Did lots of different kinds of activities. I was really involved in music, played, uh, played flute until uh, through college and then um, spent a lot of times with friends. My parents took us on a lot of trips. We did a lot of local things. We went to Manhattan all the time. Call it the city. We still call it the city. So we would see theater and concerts. And so we were exposed to a lot of the arts, which probably fostered my love of the art. And that continues through today. So um, it was really quite nice.
0: So you were very interested in music today. Maybe you do it on your own, but not professionally. So what happened to change that?
1: Like a lot of uh, musicians, I was rehearsing a lot. I was playing, I was practicing, and my school had a really wonderful music program. I went to a school called Ward Melville High School. um, in Setauket and they had a pretty big music program. And so I was in a wind ensemble and a jazz ensemble and an orchestra, even a woodwind quintet. And so I was playing upwards of six to eight hours a day um, and I developed a repetitive stress injury. So I had tendinitis in my wrist and um, it happened and kind of worsened right at the period of time when I would have needed to be, you know, doing audition tapes for college and for conservatory, which at the time I was really interested in and thought was my path. But what really happened was that I, I realized I needed to forge another path because essentially the doctor said, we can, there's only so much we can do if you're going to keep playing, if you're not going to stop. Back when I was in school, you didn't take a gap year. Nobody took a year off in the United States. It wasn't typical. And so I didn't really have that option or didn't see that as an option. So essentially I pivoted and I decided that I went to, so I went to college at a school that also had a really good music program. And my thinking was, I can keep taking music classes and I can keep studying music and immerse myself in it. But, you know, I'll have options. I'll have, you know, get to get a liberal arts education which of course was also important to my parents (laughs) Um, and so I went to Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore and they own Peabody Conservatory which is one of the best conservatories in the country and so I I really um, I feel like I lucked out in a way because I got to do I got to study all the other things I was interested in I got some art history and lots of other you know just European history and things I was interested in got to dabble in you know sciences and engineering so my two core subjects were writing And music history and so those ended up being the things that I really spent the most time on at school and I um left performance performance behind almost entirely and so you know I still have a lot of music in my life but I don't play anymore
0: do you think things would have been different if you had just kept going in that path
1: yes I mean I think I think they would have been very different I would never have found the path that I found I don't think um I, I've been thinking a lot about regrets and I don't really have any, I mean, I think I used to feel like, well, what if I'd taken that year off? What if I had given myself that chance? Like what could have been, but since then, honestly, I've just seen so much more of the world. I don't think I would have been As fulfilled even as I am now. You know, it's funny, at one point I worked, I did work for some professional orchestras and um, I worked at the Minnesota Orchestra and I worked at the New York Philharmonic. And I even, you know, met some of my peers there from high school who had ended up being, you know, becoming uh, orchestra musicians. And what I realized was that I was fine where I was. And that um, all of the other things that I learned about, you know, being in business and in work, working in technology were so much broader and so much more interesting in a way than like the confined music world. And so as much as I, I again, I'm passionate about the arts, I, I really do feel like this path was the one that was more meant for me.
0: So somebody who's trying to select a college, select a path and runs into a challenge like you did. You know, like suddenly the things you were looking forward to are no longer an option. What would you say? There's still light at the end of the tunnel?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you have to make choices with the information that you have at any given time, right? Nobody knows what their future holds. Some people like try to plot out every step of their future and try to make sure that they, you know, make all the right decisions. But the truth is you, you just don't know how you'll feel once you're on that path. And I, when I mentor young women, I I'm always very clear to them that there are other paths and that they don't, they need to think about what else is possible. And I think possibility is kind of my, my word for, for this year. And I have, I'm very passionate about finding out what's possible for people and for myself and for others. And um, I think a lot of people, particularly when you're just starting out, see a path and they're like, okay, that that's a path I can take. But the truth is, you just, again, you just don't know what your path is going to be. So I encourage women in particular to think outside the box. I'll give you an example. There's a young woman that I mentor and she really wanted to work for a FANG technology company. That's like the top technology companies. And so I asked her, I asked why. And she said, well, because that's where all the cool technology innovation is happening. And I was like, actually, let me tell you about some other companies. And so I sent her like a list of, you know, 10 other companies that were innovating in different ways. And she was floored. She didn't expect it. She was a junior in college and she wasn't expecting that there was this other world out there. And I think it's, you know, the media, kind of puts these these brands out there as um, kind of the be all end all and really when it, there's just so many other options and, and innovation happening in really cool ways that people don't see on the news and don't read about in their feeds. And so this is this is kind of one of the things that I think obviously I've learned in my own career, but I think that it's really important for young women to think about just what else might be possible.
0: So coming out of college, were there other fields that you explored? How did you land where you are today?
1: So it's funny, I ended up so I ended up with this degree in nonfiction writing and music history. And I um I even while I was at college, I was doing digital technology. I had actually gotten a work study job where I was building a CD-ROM. It was an educational CD-ROM. So we're going back, we're going back a ways here. And the team I was working on was a cross-functional team. I was a humanities major and there were these, like there were some that were programmers and some that were designers and we collaborated on this educational CD-ROM. So when I graduated for my senior year, I got an internship at the Discovery Channel, and they were actually building their very first consumer website. This is the early days of digital technology. Nobody knew what was possible. And at the time I was, you know, I thought, oh, I was like an editorial internship and I was writing and I was editing and I was working with editors mostly. But what happened was that that turned into another job, which turned into another job. And before I knew it, I was a digital product manager. I mean, I was really like, I was actually building digital products and I I wasn't just the you know the one who was supplying the words and help helping decide the content strategy. I was really driving the overall strategy and really helping all of those members of the team come together to make really good products. And so um, I thought I was going to be a journalist or some kind of you know editorial um, role. And um, I even at one point thought maybe I would be a music critic because of the music stuff. I um, I started this is a hundred percent true. I started a, a musicology Ph.D. program and thought oh, well, I'll just do this. And then this will send me down back down the path that I was on thinking I kept going, you know, getting pulled back to this path that I thought was right for me. But what happened was I got a job in Chicago. One of my mentors recruited me to come work for him in Chicago and it changed everything. It changed everything because I saw, again, what was possible. I saw that there was this path that was kind of like developing in front of me. You know, people like, again, I think people sometimes see paths and they're like, oh, this is a path. And this is a path I could take. I could be a doctor. I could be a lawyer. I could be, you know, I could be a CPA and I can do, you know, there are different paths that you take, but the path that I was on didn't exist. It was brand new. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Nobody knew how these roles would evolve. And the fact is that product management, which is the field that I have spent most of my career in, is now one of the top hiring fields in the world. And particularly in the United States, it's very hot. Probably, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I see thousands, thousands of job openings and products every week. I unknowingly ended up on this path and I'm so grateful that I did.
0: So did you seek out mentors and what kind of influence did they have on you?
1: Oh, it was, um, sometimes I've had mentors, but I don't know that I seek to them out so much I think um, early in my career you know there were people who wanted me to do well and who were you know who were champions for me. But the other thing that happened during the digital era was that job hopping became a little bit more popular. So, you know, my parents' generation, they got a job. They stayed there for 10 or 20 years or sometimes for their whole career. But I, I, you know, I'm part of Gen X and we were the first generation to kind of be like, well, let me try this. Let me try a little bit of that. Gosh, I remember my parents, particularly my mother, panicking and saying like, oh, Like, should you, is it really okay that you're switching this job? She was in human resources. And I remember she'd be like, they're going to think that you're, you know, not serious or that you're not committed. And, but what was happening was that the culture was changing and the world is changing. And I was going where the work was interesting. And, you know, I kind of kept going where, where that work looked interesting to me.
0: And, and that's so true. What you said, you know, our parents took up a job for 40 years, 45 years, they were with the same company. They knew the company inside out. They knew everybody there but this is a different generation. It's to your point, the challenge of what's entailed in a job is so much more important than longevity. And even when people are hiring, you know, they look for what all you have done, you know, how much more experience, how much more exposure you have had to different types of challenges. So mobility is not such a bad thing in these days.
1: Exactly.
0: Do you you think that really plays to advantage when you're looking for a job or when you're hiring? Do you look at that and say, okay, fine. It's okay. They moved so many jobs, but they have now 10 different industries on their resume, so they know more.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. I think it can be a huge asset. Um, I think it probably depends how long they're staying at a job. I like to see somebody probably staying for at least a year to just like stick it out. It's a horrible situation. Nobody wants you to stay in a horrible job. But when you see you know a number of, of jobs in a row where somebody maybe has stayed six to eight months, then it's a little bit of a red flag. But switching industries, I think, is phenomenal for experience. And for the opposite, when I see somebody who only has one industry on their resume, I often find it challenging to see how they might fit, you know, what they might be able to bring, what kind of thinking they might be able to bring to to the company that I'm hiring for. I recall one time where I was uh, working in digital media and, you know, I had a lot of applicants who had only finance experience, only experience at big banks and credit card companies. And, And that's common in New York. There's a lot of, there's a lot of product management. And, but of course, whenever there's layoffs, those folks are always out there looking for jobs and pounding pavement trying to find their next thing. And sometimes they could be a good fit. And sometimes it's just a little too narrow. And so yes, I do think that working in different industries can give you a lot of value to employers. I also think that it's important that people have some kind of specialty. And whether that's the role that you're in, or your angle on the roles. So for example, my roles, because I started an editorial, many of the roles that I've had have been in content heavy, not necessarily media sites, but sites that had a lot of really important, like we're distributing content to consumers. That's been a little bit of the thread in my career has been like, you know, I worked at start, like I said, I started at Discovery Channel. I worked for Encyclopedia Britannica, which is all content. Um, I worked, I worked in digital cable when they were first playing around with interactive TV and they were actually putting, you know, we have like a lower third, and it turned into like web TV. This was like very early days, though, the technology was not quite there. But again, all about content video on demand, I worked in, and then I later worked for Time Inc, where I worked for a number of lifestyle brands, and again, all content. So I think, um, I think having a theme or a thread that kind of takes that goes through your career is that the kind of thing you should be looking for after your maybe second or third job start to see like, What are the things? And it's not just for employment. It's also for yourself. Right. What are the things that I really enjoy and what is the kind of work that I really like to do? And let's make sure that I'm doing it, because if you're just following jobs because, you know, you need a paycheck, um, you will find yourself at some point, (laughs) whether you're 30 or 40 or 50, you'll find yourself at a point where you're like, what have I done? what have I done? How did I get here? And I don't even know if this is what I want in my career. The best way you can take that challenge on, I guess I would say, is to really be thoughtful and self-aware about it as early as you can. And just don't dismiss that when you're looking for work. Don't always be thinking about what's in it for the employer. Just really be thinking about what you want and what you need.
0: Interestingly, right, our generation has seen the whole worldwide web come to fruition, come to life, this whole internet concept, You mentioned CD-ROM and I can relate to it. I don't know how many more young people can relate to the CD-ROM and the spools. You know, so many things change. And I think we are so fortunate to have seen that development, right? From that point to where we are today, where we stream everything, everything is Wi-Fi, Bluetooth connected, IOTs. You know, it's hugely different world than where we started. And you have actually seen this very closely. Through your work in different areas, what, what do you think is in store for us, and and how do you feel this journey has been for you?
1: <laughs> uh, well, I have no idea what's in store for us, but I read a lot about it, and I read a lot about what other pe- people think is in store for us, and I watch. I have in in my life, I have read a lot and watched a lot of science fiction and <laughs> I'm not optimistic about, about some of it. Um, I think there's a, a lot of potential for really great things to happen. I'm hopeful that we will have the right kind of public-private partnerships to make sure that those things are done safely and ethically. And we have a lot of challenges to get through. You know, I'm really and one of the things that I Took on during the pandemic last year was to, to start investing myself to really start looking into companies and understanding what they're about and picking the ones that I want to invest in rather than just investing in funds, you know, mutual funds. And so it's been a huge education for me about what's happening in innovation and business and different kinds of businesses that I actually didn't know anything about. And so when you see the companies that are out there and the kinds of things that they're coming up with, it's amazing. Like it's actually just like genuinely amazing. There's this one company out of Canada and they've come up with this product that can detect airborne viruses. Where was this five years ago? (laughs) And, you know, but it probably wasn't getting funding because it wasn't important. And now it is. And so there, when you think about that, and when you think about all the other kinds of advances that there are in AI that will, you know, make the world a more secure place, there's just, there's so much potential, there's so much potential as somebody who's seen that world changed like you in in the last, you know, 20, 30 years, it's a little bit overwhelming to think about what could happen and what you hope will happen. And I don't, I don't think I have a good picture in my head of what will happen because I think there is just so much that relies on chance that relies on companies making um, decisions that are good for humanity and not just good for their business.
0: So your role today, you have your own company Mm -hmm. and uh, you're trying to do something very different. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Oh, sure. I'd love to. I consult with companies who are in the middle of a digital transformation of some kind. So believe it or not, there are still a number of companies, actually many, <laughs> who um, who are trying to figure out how they pivot, how they change their business for digital. And this actually happens all the time, even when you think it's already been done in an industry. So higher education is a great example. You know, they had all these digital, digital products. They had um, parts of their university experience, maybe that were digitized. They had... Some of them have digital incubators, Um, lots of them have other kinds of innovation, things going on on their campuses and um, in their communities, but they weren't ready for this. They weren't ready for everybody to even be working from home. Getting their staff to be able to teach from home, they were legitimately not ready. And this is like, I'm sure there are some exceptions, but by and large, they were not ready. So what I do is I work with companies as they're figuring out um, how to innovate. We have a goal, but we don't know how to reach it. We don't know what kinds of products to build or we know what kind of problems we wanna solve, but we don't know what the product is that's gonna solve that problem. And so they will often form like a cross-functional team within the company that could be different departments that are um, partnering together to try to figure out either what this thing is or how they're going to implement it. And so the work that I do and that I really love to do is to come in and help those people work together, help them figure out the design thinking end of it, the actual innovation, like how do you do innovation? But my, my twist is that I'm really focused on human relationships and I'm really focused on how people are at the center of the process and keeping emotional intelligence at the center of that process and making sure that people are aware of um, their own biases and kind of how they operate. Um, but it's really all about, it's really all about people working well together. You know, technology is really hard for companies. It's really hard for people. Um, not everybody is um, a digital native. And even this generation that's coming up that consider themselves digital natives doesn't mean that they know how to build products, right? Like It's, it's, it's a skill that you have to learn. And what typically happens is that companies hire for tech technical skills and not for human skills. And so they often find themselves in this place where they're like, we've got the smartest minds in the industry and we have not been able to solve this problem. And we can't figure out why, but we're stuck. What is it? Like, what are we, how are we stuck? Why does this keep happening? Or they, they build the, they build a whole product. They build a whole suite of products and nobody uses them and they've wasted millions of dollars. And that's usually because there's some kind of dysfunction. There's either there's a dysfunction on the team, there's a dysfunction in the process, there's something that's not working well. And so my specialty is to come in and help them figure out what it is and to help them how to get past it to the next stage. You
0: spoke of human relationships and that is just so important. Everything, that's like the red thread, right? That keeps everything going. In your life, did you have role models or human relationships that you had with other people that were hugely influential for you?
1: My family was very close. I, um, I had lots of cousins growing up. We saw some of our cousins every Sunday and you know, we had family dinner every Sunday at my grandmother's house. I think my parents taught me some basic foundational things about what would make me successful in the world right like work hard always be learning and don't be a jerk working with other people and um and just being kind is like the simplest thing it's one of those things that you think is just so obvious but there's just so much toxicity and so much negativity that when I run into it I'm always a little bit surprised again You know, every time I meet somebody who's just not collaborative, I think, why? Why wouldn't you be? It's a waste of your energy and it's a waste of your time to not be a collaborator. And again, you see this in technology a lot, right? Because there's a lot of lone wolves and people who really just want to build things. And that's fine. That's fine that they want to build things. When you're building um, products that require a lot of different kinds of thought, you need collaboration and you need, you're need you gonna need some people skills. And so even if you don't have them naturally, it's important to be aware of that and to really work on them. And hopefully you've got a manager who um, also values that and can help you figure out how to get it.
0: Flexibility is another big um, concern for most of the women because we have this time frame, right? Where career takes off, there's family you're trying to build. How did you manage all of that?
1: Not particularly well. There's no right way to do things, right? There's no script for that. Um, And I think you do the best you can. I got married later in life, you know, always knew I wanted a family, but powered through and worked through my 20s and my 30s. And then found myself at, I think, 39 doing fertility treatments and trying to figure out how I was going to make it all work. And I (laughs) I remember telling some of the younger women in my life, Uh, you know, mentees and and women that I had worked with and just telling them like, gosh, if you do nothing else, if while you're building your career, freeze your eggs, please freeze your eggs because it seems like a lot of money at the time. But then when you get a bill for IVF, you're like, okay, I really should have frozen. (laughs) Um, so I know that's a little bit personal, but like, it's it, for me, it was like, it was life-changing to have to go through that. And to, for my husband and I had to have to go through that together is really, really hard. It's just, it's hard for everybody around you too. And, um, they don't know how to help you. So you're just kind of like pushing through, right. And you find every bit of support you can. And what I would say is that those years were really hard and that I was very fortunate to have a manager who, uh, was, empathetic and kind and open to, you know, whatever I needed to do. I was able to, I did, you know, had to do two rounds of, well, two rounds of IVF, but other things before that. And then, and then I was pregnant and which was amazing. And we were so grateful, but you know, it's hard to be pregnant at 40. It's really, really hard. It's hard to be pregnant anytime probably, but it's really, especially hard to be pregnant um, when you're older. And I was commuting from Long Island to Manhattan almost every day, which is, almost four hours round trip. It was incredibly challenging. And I found, you know, my days getting shorter and shorter. Just like I was, you know, I'd be leaving at 5.01. Sometimes the first one out the door, but I was also usually the first one in the door. I found that working remotely and uh, needing that was something that I had to ask for. And I had to say, I really do need two days a week at home. It's, this is just too much for me. You know, I talked to a lot of other women about, about taking time off. And, you know, we have all these role models, good or bad, that either don't take enough time off or, you know, w- whatever it is that, that worked for them, but maybe isn't so helpful for women who do want to take more time off. And the United States does not have a system for this yet. Um, and hopefully we're getting one. You know, my company was very, was very generous. So I actually did have the support I needed um, and was able to take the time that I needed. But again, it's just really hard. I was, I remember working on my laptop, like, like lying on my side because my, I had so much back pain at the, you know, at the end of my pregnancy and, and just, just like working sideways is the strangest thing. <laughs> like You're literally like lying on your side all day, like. Because you can't lie on your back when you're pregnant. And um, I just remember how how hard it was and having to have your face on camera sometimes when you really just didn't want to be. You know, I really am hopeful that what one of the positive things that's come out of the pandemic is companies realizing that people really do need flexibility. And I think a lot of these companies pushing people to come back to the office um, will come back to bite them and will certainly set their diversity back. Um, Whether or not it sets women back in general remains to be seen. I think there is a lot of doom tellers out there telling everybody that, you know, women are going to be set back in their careers for a really long time from this. But I don't know yet. I think the jury's out. I think there are still a lot of companies who are willing to be flexible and who are going to allow women to do what they need. And I'm hopeful that we will get what we need from this.
0: True. And by the way, happy birthday to your daughter. (laughs) Thank you. It's a birthday, right, today? That's awesome, though.
1: We've got. I've got to make a quick stop after this to go grab some balloons. Thank you.
0: So along the way, did you have any naysayers that you had to deal with? How did that pan out?
1: Sure. I, like, there's always going to be somebody telling you that you're not enough of something. There's always going to be somebody who thinks you're not smart enough, you're not cooperative enough, you're not Uh, technical enough. And that last one is the one I actually probably have heard. I won't say I heard it the most, but it's the one that hurt the most. People would tell me that I wasn't technical enough for that for a job. And I would be like, "What what does that mean? Because I'm not a programmer. I've been working in technology for, you know, 20 plus years. Like what makes me not technical enough? And here's what I learned from that. The reason people were telling me that I wasn't technical enough was because I was selling the human side. And when I realized that I was that, you know, I was selling my soft skills because those are the things I really enjoyed about my work. I loved collaboration. I loved getting teams to be on the same page. I I love getting everybody behind a business initiative and figuring out what the right way was going to be to get to those goals and to solve those technical problems. But I was always coming at it from the people side. And whenever I would do one of those assessments, I would always come out with like the one that has to do with people. Like I have my I have my uh, one of these right here, and I'm sunshine yellow, which is which is all about collaboration and um, and positivity. And so that's who I am. And I used to shy away from it. I used to be like, okay, well, how can I harden up my my resume? How can I make it look like I am as technical as I am. And what I realized when I was able to go out on my own was that it didn't actually matter. The thing that really mattered was these are the things that I am good at. My experience is real and it speaks for itself in some ways. Part of the reason I made my consulting practice around these kinds of relationships is because it's what I'm good at and I'm embracing it now. So I actually think, you know, like I said, people are always going to have something to say to you. Somebody's always going to have something to say to you and you just have to take it everything with a grain of salt and decide if it really matters to you or not.
0: Any other advice on what we should be focusing more on?
1: Women in particular to have a lot of confidence and to really um, find their voice and believe in their voice and really hold on to that. It's one of your biggest assets when you're being true to yourself, you know, there's a huge movement towards authenticity in business. And I think it's, it's so good for women because it gives us a chance to really talk the way we want to talk and, and share the things we want to share. Um, And I know I also talked about emotional intelligence. If you aren't, if you don't know anything about emotional intelligence, read about it. It's, it's really important. It will help you as level up. If you're looking to become a leader, it's critical that it's a skill you develop. Um, You can learn a lot about how companies operate and how teams operate and, and how to be successful. And even if you have emotional intelligence, intelligence naturally, it's the kind of thing that you can develop in, um, in other dimensions. So I think that one's really important. And the last, which I think is important for everybody, but um, often particularly important for women is your mindset and your mental health, keeping your mindset open, keeping your your options open. You know, I talked about possibility. I think thinking about how you think about yourself, how you think about your skills, how you think about your experience, um, it all goes to that confidence, but it also has a lot to do with like how you frame your thinking. and. That leads into mental health, which is, there's really nothing more important than your physical and mental health. And if you need help, you should get it. If you're finding yourself struggling in your work there's probably a reason and um, I am a huge advocate of going deep when you need to figuring out what's going on and and getting through that and I think it's something that a lot of women don't do because they feel like they have to keep working they have to keep pushing through they have to keep advancing and so they don't take care of themselves and they find themselves really struggling at some other point in their life and they don't know why they're like what I don't understand where is this all coming from and you're like well that's kind of might be like three different things who knows at this point right So I think all of those things kind of work well together and are just so important for women.
0: Any mistakes you constantly see us making? Yes,
1: I will say many women believe what they hear unequivocally. They believe what people tell them. People don't always know you. They don't really know everything about you and just don't believe everything you hear, particularly when somebody's saying it about you. Um, I think this is something that my husband has actually taught me and I've learned a lot from his style. His style is very different from mine. Um, but he has taught me some incredibly valuable lessons. And this is a big one, which is like what other people think of you really doesn't matter in a lot of ways. I mean, it it matters in your workplace, right? You need to have respect to get your job done, but don't believe everything you hear. Sometimes people will say things to you that just aren't true and you have to gut check those. You have to be like, that doesn't sound, I didn't think that about myself. Like, so check, check with somebody you trust, check with people that you, um, whose opinions you do value. And sometimes you can just set those opinions aside and you don't have to take everybody as an expert careers or in life or in how business works. That's true about kind of everything that happens in business too. Like not everybody knows what they're doing. There are a whole lot of people out there who will talk a good game and you think they know what they're talking about, but you know, that doesn't make them good leaders necessarily. Like definitely like do your research to know who you're hearing from.
0: That's great advice. One other thing, and that I learned from my husband. And again, as you said, you know, men think very differently and not always. That's a bad thing. That's a great thing because when you align, you get a whole different perspective. And he taught me, don't look at what people are saying. Try to see why they're saying something. There's always a reason. So he's like, try to go beyond what's being said, why it's being said is also extremely important. And that has really helped me.
1: Great advice. That is such great advice because it kind of goes to that point of um, of like, what's their motivation? Like, are they trying to help you? Or are they trying to keep you down? And actually that's incredibly important advice for women because there are people who are gonna try to keep you down and there are people who are gonna try to make you small. And that is that is not where you wanna be if you wanna grow and you wanna be successful. So. I think that's just fantastic advice.
0: See that that's the whole point of sharing these conversations like we we learn from each other we learn from others so this is great. Any closing comments Mara?
1: Number one challenge your assumptions. You don't I make assumptions all the time and I say this like I've got many years of experience and I still make assumptions all the time that turn out not to be true and people will tell me like why do you think that is and I had a coach tell me one. she's like I think we need to check some of your assumptions because Sometimes you assume things that keep you in a box, right? Like they keep you in a place. Like it kind of like when we were talking about paths, like you, you think there's a right way to go out to get that promotion or to get to that next role. And if you don't ask, or if you don't challenge that you will never know if it was possible. And then the second piece of advice that I will give to young women in particular, starting out is like, just stay big. Keep your big dreams and your big ideas and don't let anybody take that away from you.
0: Great pieces of advice. This was great, Maura. I can keep going on, but I know we need to stop at some point. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you. This was really wonderful.